describing what we should be known for, even famous for, here's Pastor Ed Ray. Help other people find that place of rest, that place of sanctuary, that place of shalom, of peace, that place of grace. Not somebody beating you over the head, but reminding you that God loves you and he desires a closer relationship with all of us. Famous for it. Many believers have talked about it. You've touched the lives of a lot of people. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your Peace, said President Kennedy. It's a daily, a weekly, a monthly process, gradually changing options, slowly eroding old barriers, quietly building new structures. Well, on a more practical level, one man would ask himself, did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say words of healing? Did I let go of my anger and resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? good questions and points to the great need of being ambassadors of forgiveness and reconciliation, which is our focus today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. From the book of Philemon, verse 6, here's Pastor Ed. Fellowship, koinonia. So let me read it to you, the New American Standard. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Fellowship, koinonia, is an important word. It means an active relationship with another person that's personal and somewhat intimate, a communion it's used to describe. Paul is not saying because you're actively witnessing, you'll become more effective. That's not what it means. The NIV basically says that and gets it wrong also. He's saying something like this. I'm praying that as you fellowship with each other, as you share koinonia with other believers, the result is going to be an understanding of every good thing we have in Jesus Christ. So what he's setting up is that you and I need to have fellowship with other believers, that you talk about the things that God has done in your life this week. And when you do, the other person hears it, and it causes them to think about what God was saying to them or doing, or maybe last week or last month. That kind of discussion is the thing that strengthens us and helps us to understand acknowledge every good thing which God has given us. Again, God gives us gifts. We live in the most blessed country in the world. We come here freely and we get out of our cars and come in an air-conditioned building and talk about God freely. Not so in many places on the earth. So we live as a blessed people that way, that you're able to choose to come whether you want to or not. You can go do something else. Go buy a taco. But you've chosen the higher thing you want to hear. Maybe you're not a believer yet, but you're because you desire to find out if there's anything here. You know, I heard this guy is a little different than most pastors. He's not really a pastor type. He's actually a scientist, 
And so he doesn't talk like a pastor. He doesn't use any these and thous and doesn't speak in 15th century English and that sort of thing. We're glad you're here. This is a church open to anyone. What? Anyone. The worst sinner is welcome here because the pastor is by the grace of God. So, Paul described the early church, first century. In this man's home, it's described also in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. There it says, they met together and they studied the apostles' doctrine, the, doc- the teaching. That's what we're doing. This is Paul's letter. We're studying it because it's God speaking to us. So you study the apostles' doctrine. You fellowship, koinonia. Hopefully you talk with each other. Don't just run to your car. You actually have some conversation with somebody here about God and what he's doing. So you'll be reminded. You have communion. Thus we have communion every week waiting for you so you can remember God's sacrifice that is the bridge to get us into heaven. And then we pray. And we open with prayer. We'll close with prayer. In between we prayed. We prayed before we started looking at these verses. And those are the four things the four elements of a godly church, of a biblical church, a church that is going through the Bible. Those are the elements Paul is talking about here. Koinonia. For we have great joy, verse 7 says, and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Paul is complimenting this man who has refreshed. And the Greek word is a military term. It means you're on a forced march. And Philemon has helped other people find that place of rest. Isn't that a good word? That place of sanctuary, that place of shalom, of peace, that place of grace. Not somebody beating you over the head, but reminding you that God loves you and he desires a closer relationship with all of us. So he's refreshed other people, Paul says. You're famous for it. Many believers have talked about it. You've touched the lives of a lot of people. Verse 8, Therefore, even though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, even though I could tell you what you need to do, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show you an opportunity, an opportunity to change someone's life. Paul was, we'll see in a moment, the spiritual father of this man. Yet for love's sake, verse 9, I rather appeal to you, showing such a one as Paul the age. Paul says, I'm getting kind of old and a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So he's pulling out all the cards. Okay? He's laying them all out on the table because he really wants Philemon to take this young man back, Onesimus. For love's sake, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to appeal to you. I try and do the same thing with you. I try and treat you like adults. I try and tell you this is what God's Word says. I appeal to you. I don't go, you're going to go to hell unless you, because none of us have that kind of position. All ground is level at the cross. We stand shoulder to shoulder, every one of us. Paul is saying that's the way we should deal with one another. We should appeal. We should appeal, not command. Verse 10, I appeal to you. There's the word again. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, son, whom I've been gotten while unchanged. Did Paul get married? No. He's talking about leading this young man to salvation. So Onesimus runs 1,000 miles from Colossae, 
southwestern Turkey today, Asia Minor, all the way over to Rome, and he runs into Paul, and Paul leads him to the Lord. God, of course, led all his steps. So, he's my son, he's saying. I led him to the Lord. He received Jesus through me, verse 11, who once was unprofitable. This is actually a play on words. Onesimus' name in the Greek language means useful or profitable. He once was unuseful. He once was unprofitable to you, but now it's profitable to you and to me. He has been radically transformed by Jesus Christ taking over his life. He has surrendered his life, and God has changed him and is changing him from the inside out. The same thing he's doing to each of us because of the new covenant. God working from the inside to change us, set us aside, sanctify us more and more like him. Paul says, I, I could have commanded it, verse 12, but I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That's my heart. So Paul is trying to build this bridge. He's trying to make it easy for this man to be reconciled with his former slave who ripped him off, who took advantage of his freedom and then ran and may have taken things with him. Verse 13, whom I wish to keep with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my change for the gospel. I want you to know, Philemon, that this young man was very useful while he was here. I would have gladly kept him, stayed here in Rome. He's a great service because I'm in chains and I can't leave the house. Verse 14, but without your consent, you willingly able to do this, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed, it would be a good thing for you to do that, might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntarily. Again, Paul is saying, it's your own personal will that I want. I don't want to force you to do anything. I want you to see the need. Verse 15, for perhaps he departed from you for this very purpose, or he departed for a short time, for a while, for this purpose, that you might receive him back. Notice the word forever. Paul's talking about setting this slave free. This is a treasonable statement in the Roman system. This is the beginning of the part where Paul is becoming clearer and clearer about his desire for Philemon not just to forgive this man, not branding him with the letter F, which was normally done to slaves, F or fugitivus in Latin, a fugitive, where we got our English word. Paul says, I don't just want you to forgive him, take him back. I want you to set him free. I want you to do something unheard of release the slave when he's taken advantage of you, when he's abused you, when he doesn't deserve it. But that, of course, is all of us. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. And he drops the other shoe. He's your brother. You can't have a slave as a Christian. And this is the beginning of the earthquake that changed history. Philemon, this man is equal to you before God. His master is your master. You are not the master of any man. God is the master of all. And this man has surrendered to God, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh, physically, but in the Lord, spiritually? You're stuck, buddy. That guy that was the slave you're angry with, you're going to have to do something with that anger. You're going to have to let this go. 
verse 17. If then you count me as a partner, working in the gospel, working in the kingdom of God together, receive him as you would me. There it is. Not just forgiveness, but reconciliation and release, which is in fact an expensive thing. That's the problem with forgiveness. It's costly. It costs us a lot. A son or a daughter may go wrong, but a father or mother has to forgive them, has to bring them back. Well, Pastor, what if they keep robbing me? Well, then put locks on the doors. But you keep praying for them, and you keep expecting God to do the impossible. Listen, there's a hundred people in this room that I know are in that very situation. Don't think you're alone in that. We're living in a drug-saturated culture. We got heroin running down this corridor down to LA, right through this city. We've got oxycodone. It's available to anybody for 20 bucks. Huge amount of drugs going through. Your kids messed up? No wonder. The whole world is messed up. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's been illustrating the need for reconciliation. Now to bring it closer to home with part two of today's lesson from the book of Philemon. Here again is Pastor Ed. These United States are really filled with drugs at a level that you and I never knew when we were in college. So you just keep loving them. You keep talking to Jesus. You keep praying for them. God is doing miracles. We have three people right now from this church in a halfway house. And they're all doing good by the grace of God right now. Struggling, Mom? Keep praying. Struggling, Dad? Keep praying. Verse 18. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. This is a great line from Paul. Put that on my account. Put it on my tab. Now, some of you don't know what a tab is. That's okay. I'm not even going to explain it. But if he has wronged you or owes anything. Now, some people take this to mean that Onesimus ripped him off of something material. Maybe so. We don't know for sure. But we know that uh, Paul is saying, don't give him the punishment that he may deserve. Slaves were actually killed for doing what Onesimus has done. There's kind of a famous story that Seneca wrote about of a slave who was waiting. The guy's name was Vidius Paleo, and Paleo was a wealthy man, and his slave was carrying a, a tray full of crystal goblets, and he, he stumbled or something, and one of them fell off and shattered. And the master called the other slaves over and had, had him throw them in a pool. Many Roman villas had fish ponds in the entryway. Go to Pompeii, you'll see them in virtually every house up on the hill. And this one was filled with lampreys. It's like an eel, but is a bloodsucker. And they're long, 18 inches, some 24 inches. And they attacked this guy, and they were going to kill him, except the Emperor Augustus was there. And he stopped it and demanded they pull this slave out of the pool. But that was how uh, people treated slaves as a tool. It's a horrible situation. But Paul says, if you have something against him, don't let it be held against him. It's a weak illustration, but I'm Scotch-Irish, and there's a famous debt that is paid every year. In Scotland, to this day, the McIntyre clan has to pay it to the Campbell clan. And no one knows exactly what the debt is for. They just know that it's been going on for centuries. And McIntyre's debt is that they have to pay 
a snowball every August, which was a big problem in the 1400s, <laughs> finding snow in August in Scotland. But the point was that there was a great cost involved. It's not just difficult, but some years it's impossible. Of course, you know, we got refrigerators. You probably take them a, a snowball, a bucket full of snowballs, right? No problem today. But it was impossible for them to pay it sometimes. Well, that's the picture of you and I. The debt that we owed, it was impossible to pay and live because the payment for sin is death. And Jesus died in our place so that we wouldn't have to. So forgiveness is expensive. Verse 19, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Good one, Paul. Laid it right in there. Fastball high inside. So Paul is saying probably the letters were big. We know he was having eye trouble at this time. And somebody, an amicus, a secretary, wrote this letter out, but then he signs it. He wants him to know that. 20, yes, brother, but let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart, Lord. You want to make me happy? Do what I'm suggesting. God has given much to us. He wants you to give this young man freedom. Yes, brother, let me have joy in the Lord. Refresh me as you've refreshed all these other... Heart, refresh my heart. Of course, for the Hebrews, the heart was the center of the emotions. And we still say that. You know, she broke my heart. He broke my heart. This is actually the bowels of your mercy. But we still say that in English. You know, I have a, a gut-wrenching feeling. We haven't moved very far, have we, in 20 centuries? Verse 21. Having confidence in your obedience, I know you're going to do this. I write you, knowing that you will do even more than what I'm suggesting. You're going to do the right thing. I trust you, verse 22. But meanwhile, I'll also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I should be granted to you. Early church writers tell us this happened, that Paul, in fact, was released from his first imprisonment and went and visited this man. The Paphrodus, verse 23, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you the one who founded the Colossian church, we believe, according to Colossians 1.7. He's with Paul. He's also chained. And then these are the other men that are with him. We, we know most of them, as do Mark. This is John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Aristocharis, who was a Greek Macedonian that traveled with Paul in Acts 27. Demas, we just looked at in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He would later leave Paul. And Luke is Dr. Luke, the physician who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Final verse, the grace of our Lord. Ah, yes, there's that word again. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Notice he started with saying grace to you, and now he says grace be with you. I believe there's a slight difference here that Paul means. In and through the hearing of God's word, grace is coming at you, to you is what he's saying. That's why he begins, grace to you. As you read this, God's grace will flow through this, and then it will be with you in your spirit. It will fill you. Okay, so the big overriding picture is the subject of reconciliation. It is this study, insightful, of relationships in the first century that all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, things haven't changed any. People are still struggling with forgiving. Notice the word give in it, for give. You have to give something 
It costs you something. You have to give someone a gift when they really deserve a penalty because it costs you something. It's a gift that God gave to you too, and it reminds us. You can give yourself the gift of grudge-free living. That's what Paul is suggesting to this man, Philemon, and what he's suggesting to me and to you. When you withhold forgiveness from another person, we normally do it because we say they don't deserve forgiving. I didn't deserve forgiveness either. God gave it. You didn't deserve forgiveness. God gave it. It costs God something. It will cost you something to forgive people. Maybe it's the person sitting right next to you right now, like a spouse or something like that, family member, and it's time for you to forgive. Give them something. Pastor John Claypool died a few years ago, and he wrote a book called The Preaching Event, and he had this story in it that I think is very helpful. There was in the town of Hartsville, Tennessee, identical twins, brothers who never married because they enjoyed each other's company. When their father died, they took over a store and ran it together in a joyful collaboration. But one day, a man came in to make a small purchase and paid for it with a single dollar bill. The brother who made the sale placed the dollar on top of the cash register and walked the customer to the door to say goodbye. When he returned, the dollar bill was gone. He said to his twin brother, did you take the dollar bill that I left here? He said, no, I didn't. Surely you took it, the first brother said. There was nobody else in the store. The brother became angry. I'm telling you, I did not take the dollar bill. Mistrust and suspicion grew from that moment on until finally the two brothers could not work together. So they put a partition right down the middle of the building and made it into two stores. In anger, they refused to speak for the next 20 years. This is a true story. In anger, they refused to speak until one day a stranger pulled up in the car and entered one of the two stores. Have you been in business very long? He asked the proprietor. Yes, 30 or 40 years was the answer. Good, said the stranger. I very much need to tell you something. About 20 years ago, I passed through this town and I was out of work and homeless. I jumped off a boxcar. I had no money and I hadn't eaten for days. I came down that alley outside and when I looked into your store window, I saw a dollar bill on the cash register. I slipped in and took it. Recently, I became a Christian. I was converted and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. I know now it was very wrong of me to steal that dollar bill. And I've come to pay you back with interest and to beg for your forgiveness. When the stranger finished his confession, the old storekeeper began to weep. And he said, would you do me a favor? Would you please come next door and tell that story to my brother? Of course, with the second telling, the two brothers were reconciled with many hugs, apologies, and tears. 20 years of hurt and broken relationship based not on fact, but on mistrust and misunderstanding. But then healing came, reconciliation came because of the stranger's new love for Christ. A touching story Pastor Ed Ray concludes with today on Grow in Grace. It just goes to show you the difference that Christ makes. He makes all the difference. And that wraps up our two-day look at Philemon. 
We hope you got a lot out of it. And remember, you can hear it again online at thepackinghouse.org. We can also send you a CD copy. For this and other Christ-centered resources, go online to thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. That's toll-free, 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. Remember, you can access these daily studies when you visit our website at thepackinghouse.org. We'll continue our trek through the New Testament tomorrow on Grow in Grace. Pastor Ed Ray will be introducing his new series in Hebrews. See you then. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sit behind and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your.